Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. Whether it's good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, you have just tuned in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, where we help you have new ideas. We spark ideas that help you get from where you are today to make the dream that you want to have become a reality. And as you know, every week, I always say I have the most fabulous guests. Trudy Bourgeois is the author of Equality, Courageous Conversations About Women, Men, and Race. Hey, Trudy, how's it going? Hey, Denise, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. One of the things I've noticed, I don't know if you have noticed, we're having a lot of listening sessions, Mm -hmm. but but there's no action to it. So there's lots of empathy going on, but no compassion going on of how do I own my stuff to release it so that I can come renewed and clear about what it is that I need to do out of this. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the models that we use in our practice relates to the work of Dr. Stephen Karpman. Mm-hmm. And he created a model called the drama triangle. Yep. Yep. You yep. know what I'm talking yep, about. Right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So to to the degree that we are open to shifting the way that we think mm-hmm. from the problem orientation to an outcome orientation based upon the work of David Emerald, then the, the choice that we make allows us to be in that different space. But but if we don't make a choice, our brains, because of our history and our hearts, it's gonna take us to a victim stance. Mm -hmm. It's gonna just suck us down, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, as marginalized members of the community, we have to fight. We have to have that internal battle. We have to learn how to win and deal with that internal battle. Because if if we're not careful, then we get in our own way Mm -hmm. and inadvertently lock down the doors that maybe God would have opened because we don't see possibility. Mm -hmm. We don't extend the olive branch of trust. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get you inside. I'm not going to be vulnerable, right? No, no, I'm going to protect myself. And, and that doesn't serve us well. Right. And we know that not just from the two authors that you've talked about, but all across emotional agility and emotional intelligence that once you begin to get in that defensive mode when that amygdala goes, hey, you're in trouble, protect, 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 gotta fight, 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 gotta fight, 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 right. Then opportunities go away. You just that's simply right. can't see them. All you can see is protect. And that's what you want. I got to defend myself. And so right. the whole orientation doesn't even put you in a space where you can receive possibility right. thinking. And so if you're not engaging in possibility thinking, then opportunities are not going to come your way. You know, you're going to you're going to cut that energy off. 
at least that that's been my life's experience. And it's not like, you know, Denise, I always knew the things that we're talking about now. I mean, I, I grew up in segregation. Mm-hmm. I was a part of desegregation. You know, I lived in the deep South in Mobile, Alabama. Jim Crow was real. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to say you, you turn a switch and all of a sudden you're like into the space where, oh, I'm so positive and I'm energized and, you know, no, but I do know that you have to work with yourself Mm -hmm. and you've got to be willing to do your own work. I had to do my own work and that included practicing affirmations. My spiritual walk is extremely foundational and core to who I am. And so I, I had to look at my operating system and all of us have an operating system that you know is sort of our rudder of the way that we show up mm-hmm. and so I think we have to ask ourselves is it time to reboot because mm-hmm. that's what we do when the computer <laughs> when, it's when it's going there. haywire yep <laughs> or you're let's, not getting let's this, just reboot this sucker <laughs> And I think that some days you have to reboot by the hour. Yeah. 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 In an environment. And sometimes that means, you know what? I can't handle this environment. I need to have a process that gets me out of this environment and into another environment where it's, I'm better at it. You know, it's the difference between, you know, you start with a bicycle that has training wheels on it versus jumping on a racing bicycle, right. And trying to do the outs, right. right. Um, Kind of thing. So so at any rate, this is the essence of the conversation. That's great. That I, I want to kind of have. And I, I think if we center it kind of around some of the things that I read about or, or scoped out about, about this idea of, you know, where does real change come from? Mm-hmm. Why is it taking so long? What is our part in it? Mm-hmm. I think if we can kind of lean into those conversations. Yeah. Just a little bit. I know, you know, we got 30, 45 minutes. I I said 30, it usually winds up being 45 ish minutes out of it. But I think if we can just begin to get, begin to agitate people's thinking. Yeah. And be a catalyst for them to go, Ooh, I never heard that. Ooh, nobody's ever said that out loud. You know, we might say it in our circles. We might say it at church. We might, you know, (laughs) Really? But, no, but, I, I know. That's the problem. That, that is a part of the problem. But we definitely, that, I go say it to our work colleagues. Right. right. No, <laughs> no we, we get behind. And this is one of the patterns that has to be broken. Yeah. Because, because we, we say it, we just don't have the courage to say it to our colleagues. Yeah. So then nothing ever changes because we don't have what you and I were just talking about, which is the courageous conversation, right? We're too scared and we're hooked on the drug. The drug is called cash. And (laughs) see, (laughs) the drug is cash. You start making the six figures, then, you know, you shy away from boldness sometimes. You you shrink sometimes. For security. For security. Exactly. For security. Security takes over. You know, security takes over. I know this game. I don't want to upset the apple card. And mama said, keep your nose clean and don't be complaining. Don't be ruffling feathers. So so you have like layers of dimension, especially for black people, Mm -hmm. because we have 
historically and for very good reason been taught to be a little bit reserved when it comes to building relationships across differences. So we, we don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to talk to you about what I did on the weekend because I'm afraid you might use it against me. Right, right, right. And especially in an environment corporate. So one of the things I talk about is, is that living in a in corporate work is an ecosystem, big, small, whatever it is. And one of the things about an ecosystem is there's a structure and HR owns the structure. Yeah. And so many times performance management systems, compensation systems are punitive in nature. That's right. They don't, they're not about creating opportunity as much as they are trying to maintain control and order and a semblance. And we get lost in that. Oh, everybody absolutely. does. Absolutely. And, and, and I don't mean black or, you know, I mean, it, it everybody. doesn't matter what color. We everybody. All, everybody. Yeah. You know, and because if you yeah. step too far out, yeah, then suddenly, you're, you're gone, right? Yeah. And if yeah. we're trying to go left and you want to go right, you know, wait a minute. Does that mean I'm not in the crowd? If I'm not in the crowd, you know, how do we how do we yeah. get those essences there? You know, that essence of security that I where are the edges that I'm willing to go to. And then how do I push that envelope? It's, it's so interesting because, you know, there's so much rhetoric mm-hmm. about bringing your whole self to work. Yes. And being authentic in the workplace. Yes. Well, you know, <laughs> the system is not even set up for that to be be a reality. Right. Okay. It, it's not. And so we have to acknowledge the systemic barriers. Yeah. And one of the systemic barriers is that there's a lot of people who don't want the system to change. They, they like the system. The system works very well for them. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work well for everybody, mm-hmm. right? And so when I think about why we have not experienced more significant change, I think it's because people haven't personalized the ownership, their role, whatever color they are, whatever their background is. And what I mean by that is if your life is um, one that uh, affords you freedom to go into a Chanel store and you're not followed because of ill thoughts, you're followed because, oh, we want to make sure you're happy and Mm -hmm. and you have a good experience. Mm-hmm. See, see, you you don't know the pain of being followed for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. You don't know that pain. And if I don't educate you, okay, if I don't tell you about my experience, you think I'm having the same experience as you. Mm-hmm. Then you look at me like, well, what's the problem? The system's not, well, there's no problem with the system. That's because we haven't educated Mm-hmm. People don't really understand the pain of exclusion and bias and microaggressions and all of the things that you and I study all day long. But, you know, if they personalized it. Well, let me share an experience that I had. Right. So I'm in the Vegas. I'm doing a training all day training with a group of executives or managers, particularly. And the, my hostess, she enjoys the finer things. So she wants to go to the Chanel. You brought up Chanel. That's what made me think about it. Go to the <laughs> Chanel. <laughs> there, you know. And one of the things that, that I do is I'm a keen observer of what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. 
And this question that we were we started out talking about, what's my own, what's my stuff? The, where's my victim mentality keeping me from seeing stuff? So the same example that you gave about the person following me around, making sure I'm happy, et cetera, et cetera. I felt how it triggered me that that old tape of they are doing this because they think I'm going to steal something or I don't belong here. Right. You know, ignoring, excusing. And I and I caught myself in the moment and stepped back and said, but what if there's a different story going on? What yeah. would you see? And I have to tell you, we went into Chanel, we went into Hermes, we went into LV, Louis Vuitton, and uh-huh. some of the other high-end places. And I think they get it, maybe in Vegas. So they've done a good job as, at that. Because I started seeing where, were they following me or were they saying, can I help you? What is, you know, what would you, what would make you, one guy even said, if you could get anything here, what would delight you? Wow. I know, right? <laughs> and I was like, huh, what? Yeah. But it was the, it was the one thing that shifted me. Yeah. See, you changed the way you were thinking. Exactly. That made me think, wait a minute. What if what they're really trying to do is give me par excellence customer service so that I will buy more? Correct. And I contrast that with what's your experience when you go to Target? <laughs> and I love Target. Okay, don't get me wrong. I, I do too. We, we love them as well. But, but, I, but I get exactly what you're conveying because you changed your thinking and then your feeling changed mm-hmm. so that your eyes would allowed you to see and experience something in a completely different light. Yeah. And this is not by any means form to suggest that there's not real situations where you're followed because <laughs> right exactly okay. exactly but i do think that one of the roles and responsibilities that we have is to be able to discern the difference yes and to ensure that we're in that winner's triangle or, you know, as um, David talks about the empowerment area where we can see the possibility of co-creating a different outcome. Yeah, I do think it took me a while as a kid to find the space in my mind and in my heart to get there. And it, it really, I have to give credit to my, my grandmother. Her name is Mary Elizabeth Stallworth. And I had integrated the school with my sister and a very long story made short, I was spat on and called it inward because they did not want me at school. Mm -hmm. They didn't want my sister or I at the school. And I wanted to be angry. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I really, that day that it happened, God rest my mother's soul. She should have never had a driver's license. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she came driving up that hill to that school because we lived at the bottom of the hill and the, the you know the rich people the rich white people lived at the top of the hill and my grandmother was the product of a slave and a slave master so she appeared really fair you know what we and our talk about would be a red bone right mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. could see straight through and she was waiting my, my grandparents live right next door or my parents, we live right next door to my grandparents. And she was waiting at the end of the pebble road because it wasn't even a real street. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and, and I, I was sharing the story with her 
And I was explaining that I had been spat on and, and called, you know, the N-word, which my parents did not allow the use of that word in the house. And I was telling her how I was going to go get my brothers and we were going to go back and we were going to kick some tail. Okay. Mm-hmm, I mean, I was having a tumult. I, I wanted to fight. I wanted to be mad. I was mad. And mm-hmm. she was like, come here, baby. Just pulled me into her arms. And, you know, back in the day, grandmother was endowed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, before, mm-hmm. before all this plastic surgery, they had natural. And she, you know, spoke these words into my spirit that changed my thinking forever. Okay. She said, uh, you're not going to go back and hit anybody. You're not going to go back and hurt anybody. I'm like, did you just hear what I told you that happened to me? And she was like, baby, you're going to pray for those people. They just don't understand. And then she said, now you got to remember, honey, you're going to go many places. You're going to be the only one, right? But you got to remember, it's not what you, you're called. It's what you answer to. Mm-hmm. So you wipe up your tears, she said, pull back your chest. And when you go into places, you act like you belong there. Mm-hmm. And don't you let anybody tell you anything different. Mm-hmm. And even today, Denise, when I find myself pre-COVID in boardrooms mm-hmm. and I'm the only one, mm-hmm. I can still hear that narrative that my grandmother put into my, my psyche, into my spirit. Mm-hmm. So there's power in adopting a stance, not of being naive or naivete or anything like that, but of looking for the good, expecting the good, mm-hmm. I think. For me in my life, if I really reflect back on my journey, there's been a lot of white people who who have opened the door for for opportunities for me. And so so just as it relates to that role, that piece of our conversation, I do think that we have a responsibility to let go of things that don't serve us well. Yeah. Yeah. And and. It's interesting that you said, don't let anyone tell you, right? My mother and grandmother always said, people will tell you a lot of things, only you can accept what's true. Ooh, see, there's power in those words. Yeah, yeah. and so for a very long time, it, it's kind of like, you know that you're going to be the marginalized person for, and when you're a woman, a Black, pick a point, okay? <laughs> We now have a fancy word called intersectionality, right? Yes, you, you know it's going to come, okay? You got, yeah. you got multiple angles of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question, you know, and, and it's, it's funny because I felt more marginalized as a woman than I did being Black. And wow. I think it's because I expected it. Yeah, that makes for, sense. For being Black. So it didn't, so when it came, it was like, yeah, 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 that's just who you are. Right. Kind of thinking that the woman was harder because... I saw bigger barriers. Yeah. Being a woman and being the only woman in some of the places I was in. I was in building a construction industry at a time yeah. when there wasn't any women, let alone, you know, still black folks. I was, you know, I was, I went to school in, in South Dakota, you know, I was in Nebraska, you know, <laughs> where, you know, when I was there, it's interesting because we think that everybody thinks like we do. And we think that, you know, well, there's black folks everywhere. 
and people no, met, <laughs> and, and people have met black folks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's so not true. Getting though. there and realizing that they may have heard about, <laughs> but they had never met. Is yeah, you whole, might as well have been in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> a whole different dynamic going on here. And what you right. think is the perception you have. That's and right. when I learned to let go that their questions, their curiosity was not an intentional slight. The impact was not meant to hurt. It was, it really was curious, you know? Yeah. I've never seen somebody like that. Does it really? Right. Like, does it, does it exist? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You I will? mean, <laughs> do you have to do something to keep that brown skin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it all the way, you know? I, I mean, literally, I remember. I know that people might think it's that what we're saying is crazy, but it's the truth. But it's the truth. I'm telling you, I fell. I was on the basket, on the volleyball and didn't have my knee pads on, fell down, skinned my knee. The coach comes, you know, she's like, hey, you okay? To make sure, you know, just doing the regular, hey, are you okay? Okay. Yeah. She looked down and, you know, the, the top layer gone off and it's white. And she goes, oh my God, it really is skin deep. I mean, in the gym. So, you know, it's reverberating. Now I got 16 like white girls. Yeah, 16 white girls <laughs> running over to go, oh my God. Oh my it's God. white underneath. <laughs> Her face red, you know. And she was, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. You know, all of those things. But those little incidents taught me that we don't have spaces where we can have these courageous conversations that I can be curious because I really don't know. And I can hear, not from a place that you're trying to intentionally hurt me, but you're intentionally curious about me. Yeah, you're trying to understand me, right? And what is the first thing if you take all black, white, diversity, all of that out, but if you read anything around having courageous conversations, the first thing they say is be curious. Right. Absolutely. You can't in even, this space, you we can't don't even, do you can't even engage in a, a real courageous conversation without curiosity. And, and you can't do it without something else that you called that earlier, which is to have empathy. Yeah. Like you've got to be curious and not discount whether it's me saying something or it's a person who doesn't look like me saying something. It's like, you honestly have to be in a space where you're like, Tell me more. And, and, and this goes back to those two words that we were talking about, the intent and the impact. Yeah. And, and so, you know, <laughs> my heritage is Creole. So, but I'm a dark Creole. So, you know, in our, in our community, you know, you're not really Creole if you're dark as me, right? <laughs> and, and I'm not, you know, extremely dark, but I had good nose and I had good hair, you know, <laughs> when I had a lot of hair. It, it used to be so funny that people would be like, well, tell me about your nose. Mm. Like, like it, it doesn't look like a black nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, they were like, okay, the pictures that they had viewed in their life and the orientation that they had shaped about a black person didn't include this image, right? Which is why the other thing that we have to do is to learn to connect to the power of one. Mm-hmm. I need to know your story, mm-hmm. right? When people would ask me, then I would say, okay, so I'm Creole and I'm African and I'm Spanish and I'm Caucasian and I'm French. And they'd be like, oh, you mean you didn't know that there were Caribbean Blacks? Didn't know that there were European Blacks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it really can become a teachable moment yeah. if, you, if you don't do this. Yeah, the fighting. We're on a podcast, people can't see you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put your jukes up. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So one of the things that 
I want to talk a little bit, two things I want to talk about before, you know, we get to the end of this is one of the things that you mentioned in, in the write-up about the book is, is no real change has occurred in this time frame that we've fed since Jim Crow fail, <laughs> which is kind of the birth of, you know, the next iteration of the movement on equality, right? Yeah. To now. Yeah. So well over 50 years we're talking here. What would real change look like? Well, first of all, I stand by that position. I don't think that any substantive change has happened. I think some superficial change has happened. What real change would look like to me is that this conversation that we're having right now would be a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. We, We would be talking about the shift that affords the generations to come to have the wealth that you know we were entitled to. We we would be talking about not three black CEOs or four black CEOs. We would be talking about 50 black CEOs because if the numbers and the math were accurate, that's what we would have. It would be normal to see accomplished black people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and the profile of Black people would be one of value. Mm-hmm. See, because I, I know that, that you, you have offered something, whereas right now we're still getting one little freaking 28 days and we act like we got three people that we can talk about every year, Rosa and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and maybe, you know, I don't know, one or two other people. Mm-hmm. It's just like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So for me, the kind of change that I'm looking for is, wow, you know, you all have made substantive contributions to this earth. Let's celebrate that. Let's acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And then you see me not as a marginalized individual. Mm-hmm. You see me as an equal. Mm-hmm. The Constitution really would be real. Mm-hmm. Our Constitution is not real. Mm-hmm. Not in the in these United States of America? No. Mm-mm. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. So you've kind of gone into the second part of the question that I want. You know, we're getting a big backlash in the press about critical race theory and rewriting history and should we pull down the statues and rename schools and someone sent me something, a Fox News interview where, you know, the guy was, you know, what is it? Now we're going to change everything. And, you know, now we're to Washington, blah, 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 out of this. And, and, it's, and it's really kind of funny because my first thought is, if you really were okay with this and it doesn't matter that, you know, these folks did some bad things, we shouldn't be touting them as angels when they did bad things. Humans are complicated. That's we're right. not perfect. That's right then why are you so upset about adding to the landscape? What, because that's what I interpret critical race theory is about, is how do we add to the landscape and that's give right. acknowledgement to more than, as you just said, three people? <laughs> <laughs> In 28 days. <laughs> In 28 days, right? Short as, you know, whatever, out of that. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about what do you think is the trigger that causes people to suddenly say that because I include you, it means I don't have a place. Because they see it as a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. One of us has got to lose. That's the mindset, mm-hmm. right? It's not the co-creator mindset. My, my fear 
of losing my power or what I perceive to be my power Mm -hmm. causes me to want to resist and, and hold on with dear strength to the status quo. So Mm -hmm. this debate about the critical race theory in a spirit of love crap, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we have been rewriting history forever. Mm -hmm. Okay. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right. To discover, well, how are you going to discover something that's already inhabited? Right. Right. So this goes back to unless we have the courage to to speak the truth Mm -hmm. and speak it in love. Our Mm -hmm. truth is that imperialization and colonization are the two sources of inequity globally. Mm-hmm. They are the primers for oppression, for racism, for all the things. And it's all about power and money. And, and I, I can speak this from you know, a place of true authenticity. You know, as I said, my grandmother was the product of a slave and a slave master. All her land, she, she would have been one of the wealthiest people in Mobile. Mm-hmm. But all of her land was taken away. I mean, we don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. See, the, the best antiseptic, the best healing agent is sunlight. Mm-hmm. Let's let's put some light on the truth and mm-hmm. and let's deal with this and stop pretending because your child feels uncomfortable about the fact that his or her grandparents or great grandparents had slaves. Tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth will set you free. Because if you if you live in America. It is 90% likely mm-hmm. that your ancestors did have slaves. Mm-hmm. So At one okay. time or another, yeah. I think it goes even further back, as you said, it's about power and it's about money. But I think it's about a mindset that says that it's a zero-sum game. I think Absolutely. that's, the, that's the, the thing that we keep missing out of this. Because we either believe in a fixed mindset, which is means, in essence, it's a zero-sum game. That's or right. we believe in a growth mindset which says that we can together co-create and exponentially grow the pie. That's right. And I, I think because we, you know, it's interesting, we allow these sound bites, my opinion. So this is the Denise-ism in the world. And those people who've got my book, they all know I got a bunch of Denise-isms in them. <laughs> <laughs> is that if we really peel it back to this most simplistic form, then you have to examine your own personal intent. Is it from a place of fixed mindset? which means there's limitations in the world and lack, or is it coming from a growth mindset, which says that everything is evolving. And as we know more, we do better. And it's not just about knowing more and sitting on our hands going, Hey, well, I know better, but it's about taking that information and doing something with it, using it and acting it, activating it. You know, Carol Dwelk's work that you're referencing there is really interesting because she looks at this notion of fixed or growth mindset in children. Mm-hmm. And yes. it's fascinating. I mean, it's just, it is fascinating because that's where it starts. Yeah. Right. I mean, we are all hardwired to be biased. Okay. I mean, that's the way we survived, mm-hmm. but the rest is learned behavior. Mm-hmm. It's acquired behavior. Mm-hmm. And so if we want to make substantial progress, Mm-hmm. We have to break the patterns mm-hmm. and stop passing on to the next generation 
the baggage that we're afraid to let go of or afraid to deal with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this whole thing of this critical race theory, I think it's just a soundbite that blew up that served a certain fashion of people well for Mm -hmm. a certain amount of time and, you know, not to go down the political rabbit hole. But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, Jim Collins in his still New York Times bestseller, Good to Great, even though a number of the companies that he said were great are gone. I know, I know. But But that is part of the, when people say that to me, I always say, but look at what was referenced in that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I'm, I'm with you. And I really appreciate his point. One of his, I think it's number seven. He says, you got to touch the brutal facts. Mm-hmm. That's what leaders do. We touch the brutal facts. We're not, we don't get paralyzed by the fear of what's going to happen because of those facts. No, no, no. We race towards those facts. We, we want to shed the light on them because we believe, to your point, that if I do that, I'm going to solve a problem, that something right. good is going to come out of that. Right. And that's that mindset that you were speaking about. I was saying the same thing that, see, people see it as a zero-sum game. I got to lose or you got to win. And as long as we are in that space, nobody really wins. Right. We stay stuck. Yeah. And... And going back to the, the drama triangle, we also get stuck in the victimhood triangle, you know, so it's yes, victim, persecutor, rescuer. And so yes, we're yeah. always playing one, one of, of those, those roles <laughs> and circle, 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 you know, or triangle, you know, one or the other. And the, and the piece of that is, is that, you know, there's, I always say, look at what you're getting because we get addicted to control and predictability. Mm-hmm. I want to control what's yeah. going to happen. And I want, and the way I measure that is through being able to predict what the outcome is. Yes, ma'am. So, so that's kind of, we're all wired towards, oh, let me keep saying, safety, <laughs> control and predictability. How can I control this? But, but then, okay. So then, you know, we come out with this word agility, right? <laughs> and we don't even have a true understanding that, what that you means. know, what, of what it means. What do I have to let go of to get? And that was my point of, you know, I say it to people all the time. You you ever have a pair of shoes or a dress or a shirt or something? You know, it's long past its prime, right? It doesn't quite fit. It it might have holes in it. You didn't didn't paint it in it, you know? And you just don't want to let that go. That's it. That's it. And, And so I ask the question, what is it that you get out of keeping that on? Well, it's, it's a memory, it's security, security. it's predictability, it's safety, yeah. you know, yeah. it's comfort. Yeah. So even in the pain of being a victim, persecutor, rescuer, there is comfort in it. And oh, that's yeah. what we get addicted to. Absolutely. Because it, it gives us control and predictability. Exactly. That's right. and, and that's exactly what it is. We've learned to be comfortable in our frame of reference, whatever that frame of reference is. And agility actually is the ability to recognize what your framed reference is and see a new one at the same time. And that's that's really uncomfortable. Well, you know, what, what I find fascinating about the human dynamic is that, you know, when we're kids, we can't wait to be 
grown. <laughs> and then this whole, and then this whole, like we are eager, we are learners, we are, I mean, we're just all, you know, up in the whole mindset of exploring and creating. And, and then, like I said, we get into these jobs, we start, you know, nice house, we got the nice car, we got all the comforts, and then we, mm, I don't want any more change. So my thing is, is we learn to fear change and fear the truth very early. You know, yes, we so do. you're in the grocery store, there's an ugly baby or an ugly lady. And you say, mama, that person looks, and the first thing she does is what? Smack you. But right. Don't tell that truth. Or the phone rings or somebody comes to the door, tell them I ain't here. And so we, <laughs> we literally, right? We begin to teach our children the quote unquote white lies right. that serve the other person so that we don't hurt their feelings. When in fact, what it does is when you bring that to corporate, yeah, what it does is damage people. Absolutely. We've learned to be polite to say, oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I like oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, my son, our son has Down syndrome. And you made me think about when Adam was little, he still doesn't speak more than two or three words together at one time. But uh, I remember we were in the, in the store and he says, fat lady. There you go. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and I was like, uh. and my daughter, who is almost four years younger than him, goes, Mommy, he's just saying the truth. <laughs> and I was like, Well, you know, that might hurt that person's feeling. So, yeah, we start conditioning ourselves so that we, we don't really, you know, give ourselves permission to, to say what's deep in our heart. So we tuck it away. But the problem is, is that it makes us sick. Yes. And it makes us make other people sick, you know, and there's this whole thing. I mean, um, there are organizations I've worked with, not to name any names or about it, but what happens is because I can't tell you that you misappropriated information or credit or, you know, we call them, you know, little lies, forgetfulness, gossiping. Yeah. Amnesia. I didn't get that email. Well, this idea is it. Oh, you said that? I, I didn't hear you. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I missed it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but what it does is it creates this barrier of this untruthfulness and dishonesty between yeah, us. Because right. I now know that you're a dishonest person. But because I've been taught, you can't say that's an ugly baby <laughs> or a fat lady. Right. I won't tell you that, but I will smile. Yeah. And I will walk away knowing that you are yes. not trustworthy. That That is so profound what you're saying, because as soon as I have that orientation. Yes, there it is. There it is. So if, if we're really having the honest conversation about why we haven't made change, what is it going to take? We got to change the way we think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We fundamentally have to shift our thought process. Yeah. And not just us. Everybody, but you yeah. know, everyone's got to decide and be committed. Is one of my other guests say convicted? Yes, yeah, that I may not do it right, yeah. but I will do it as you say, in the spirit of love and with yeah. good intention. That's right, and that we're going to figure out how to work together in truth and yeah. focus on harmony and getting to a solution that's that right. really is better if we work together. That's right. Because And that's particularly important in today's organizations because they're, they're so matrixed. 
Oh, no one person does course. anything. And you've got yeah, to be able no. to figure out this relationship yeah. in a matrix organization. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's so important for us to understand that silence is endorsement. Yeah. Silence says, I'm okay with whatever I see, whatever I experience. No, you're not okay. Yeah. And it's okay to say, I'm not okay with that. Right. Uh, you know, you can't come pet my hair. I'm sorry. No, I'm or not. Or touch okay. my person. Or touch uh, my person. Yeah, I'm, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. And not feel the guilt or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, we were taught as kids. But my hope and prayer is that by having conversations like this, which is why I just applaud your work, that we serve the world as a reason for the pause. Mm-hmm. Just, just allow a pause mm-hmm. because you're not going to interrupt your pattern if you don't pause. So if we can have dialogue that stays with you and you're reflecting on it, that is going to be the catalyst for the pause. Mm-hmm. And if you pause, then you can shift. And if you can shift, then things show up in a different way. And God willing, we co-create something very positive instead of perpetuating the same old status quo. And we take bold steps, not incremental steps, because I I think the bold step is really reimagining how work can be done, how we can recognize and reward people in, in workspaces and figure out how, you know, not, and not be so data driven that if we do X, Y, Z, all these people are going to be left out. We really have to understand the essence of, of what it means to really envision a different reality. That's right. You know, I cannot believe that we've gotten to the end of this, <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll have to do it again next year. We'll have to have part two. Yes, part two. Honey. Yeah. I would love to have you back to have a part two. Well, but I have meantime, enjoyed my time with you. In the meantime, tell us where people can get your book, Equality, Courageous Conversations about women, men, and race, as well as if they just want to connect with you, yeah. How would they do? So, you know, the book is available at all bookstores. Amazon's the best, the easiest. And then I am on social media at Trudy Bourgeois or, you know, workforceexcellence.com. And I just so appreciate this platform to have this courageous conversation with you. I really hope that people find value in our exchange and perhaps, you know, we sow some seeds and who knows, you know, uh, well, when they will sprout up. But my belief is that we do our part mm-hmm. and, you know, we do our best and then we let God do the rest. Yep. Yep. You're right. You're right. So <laughs> that's right. With that, you know what I'm going to say. See ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.